Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hey, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here with another episode of First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And I'm delighted to thank my sponsor, UnikiHealth.com, which has some of the greatest formulas under the sun because I helped to co-formulate them with the knowledge and inspiration of my 106-year-old teacher, Dr. Hazel Parcells. So she lived till 106, and God willing, you will too, by visiting UnikiHealth.com. And now today, let's move into my guest, Sally K. Norton, who's going to talk about the dangers of oxalate. And if there was one book to buy this season, it is Toxic Superfoods. You will not believe what she has to say about healthy eating these days. Sally Norton, why a book on oxalates? Why a book on toxic superfoods? Why now? Oh, my goodness. Why now we're so binging and gorging on these foods that we think are so great and secretly they're undermining our health and nobody's noticing this. It's so sad. And what are those foods? So tell me a little bit about oxalates because nobody's written about this. This is like the elephant in the room, my dear. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's sort of an impolite topic. People seem to be stepping around it and sort of pretending it's not there. It's very dysfunctional. And um, oxalates, you know, you never heard the term, but if you've had a kidney stone, you've heard of oxalates because your average kidney stone is made of this set of crystals that forms from the oxalic acid that we're eating. And we also eat um, oxalate crystals as well. They just don't end up being the ones that become the kidney stones and other problems, but these are naturally occurring compounds, the oxalic acid, the oxalate crystals that plants make. And we're eating them in many popular foods, you know, the almonds, the spinach. You mean the almond flour, you everybody's using, Sally, all that almond flour. And and almond butter, people love their nut butter. Oh, instead of peanut butter, we should go back to peanut butter. Oh, that's peanut butter. Right. Yeah, and peanut butter is no good either. It's, <laughs> but almond butter is worse. But the three bad ones really are the cashews, which is very popular now in vegan substitutes for cheese and dairy. Very, very. So cashews, high almonds and peanuts. And then there's the chia. And hemp is not so good. Sesame is not so good. So sort of the seed and nut department is kind of dicey. Oh my God. And you know, people just, oh my gosh, almonds are everywhere. They're giving them to their babies and their children. They think of almond milk as if it were milk, which it's not. Uh, so it is a real concern. You know, I'm a public health person and I worry about the babies. <laughs> And other things we're overdoing are the spinach is so popular. You can buy it in giant tubs at Costco and blend it all day. And people will take their almond butter and they'll mix it with a cooked sweet potato, which is another high oxalate food and throw in cocoa powder, which is very high oxalate food and call that a brownie. And oh. all over the place, they're making these treats with this 
this trio of really high oxalate foods and they're giving it to their families and their children and they have no idea this this will add up to trouble. So do you think for some reason there's more predominance of oxalate foods in the diet because we have this misconceived notion that these are health foods? Oh, for sure. We're, we're embracing so many of these foods that are high in oxalate. So you're told now that you can't digest dairy, you can't digest gluten, and you go on a dairy-free, gluten-free diet, and you add in buckwheat and quinoa and teff, and these are all really high oxalate foods. You think you're fixing a problem, but you're kind of jumping from the pot into the fire here with a whole nother set of toxins that have worse ramifications in the long run. So is it that we're overdoing too much of a good thing, would you say? I would say yes. And we don't really know how good a thing they are because really a lot of what we're looking for in these foods, we can get elsewhere. So it's not like it's a big compromise. You can get the nutrients you need in other foods. There's plenty of low oxalate vegetables and the animal foods are really quite completely free of oxalate and, and provide so many basic nutrients that we need vitamin A, vitamin D, all, all the B vitamins and minerals are available in animal foods. We have just become so phobic about all animal foods that we think nuts are the answer. And that's getting nutty. So the most, <laughs> <laughs> the most predominant <laughs> high oxalate foods would be spinach. Let me, let me think spinach, beets are another one. Chocolate. Yeah. Look at look at the chocolate craze. Chocolate, cocoa powder, rhubarb, figs, berries yeah. like blackberries, almonds, and the other nuts you mentioned, especially cashews, chia seeds, peanuts, whole grains. What about beans and lentils, my dear? Yeah. So the bright white beans that we make Boston baked beans with are really high. So are the black beans. Pinto beans are almost that bad, not quite as bad. So you'd have to kind of move over from those standard beans to black-eyed peas and chickpeas if you get organic, because you know chickpeas accumulate a lot of glyphosate. And so there's a, you know, green pea, there be, you can get some legumes in your diet that aren't super high in oxalate, but the ones we like, the black beans, and the baked beans and so on are very high in oxalate. And of course, lectins and other problems in beans too. So do you think there are factors that might make some people more susceptible to oxalate issues than others? No question about it. There's um, the problem of your digestive tract, which helps to arbitrate how much you absorb from your food, how much of it's going from the food into your bloodstream. And so the diet itself, if you're on a low, no dairy diet, you're eating low calcium. See, oxalate is one of the way that, it, that oxalic acid is toxic is it binds minerals and loves calcium and calcium loves it. And they get together pretty easily. So if you have a lot of dairy in your diet, it lowers how much the oxalate gets into your bloodstream by some indeterminate amount, somewhere probably between 15 and 40% of the oxalate that would otherwise get in won't because you have calcium in your diet. But most of us are eating a pretty low calcium diet. So that's a risk factor. Whoa. If you have leaky gut, then the, the oxalate just much more easily floats in. And so the amount that's moving from food into your bloodstream can be four or five or six times higher than it would be if you had a healthy gut. There's well, other factors too. Any form of inflammation in the body, any kind of infection, distress, 
urinary tract issues that make it hard for you to excrete the oxalate. These are all factors. If you've had a history of heavy use of antibiotics, this is definitely correlating with people who get really sick from eating these foods. So interesting. And people don't know, is there a test? No, unfortunately, not reliable tests. Now, if you get a standard, well, the alternative and holistic providers like the organic acid urine test, if that or a standard urine test comes back that says you have a lot of oxalate in your urine, you should take that seriously. But if it says you don't, you should not believe that that means you're fine. Because if you're um, got caught it at the wrong moment, and really the wrong moment to test for oxalate in urine is the time, the ideal time that we think we should test, which is you get up from bed in the morning, you pee once to get rid of the overnight pee. And then the next pee is the one you give to sample and test at the lab. That is absolutely the least likely time of day where the oxalates are going to show up. So tell me what the low oxalate foods are. I'm just looking at my own diet and making a, a mental note that there's nothing I can eat anymore. <laughs> yeah, there are most all the greens. So there's there are three bad guys in the greens department, and that's the spinach, the beet greens, and the Swiss chard. But beet greens and Swiss chard are technically the exact same food. So we couldn't even count that as three in my mind. All the other greens, even the old kale, which is other problems, but is not that high in oxalate. So all your lettuces, arugula, watercress, endive, they're all perfectly fine to, to use. And what about the nuts? The nuts, well, I go for the pumpkin seeds. A little bit of sunflower seeds are fine. Um, and it, that's basically the ones I would trust. But that is also because nuts and seeds are designed to be indigestible by the plants that made them, they did not produce their babies so you could eat them or at least digest them. They'd love for you to eat them and poop them out with fertilizer. That's their plan. <laughs> That's the plant's plan. So they're inherently nuts and seeds are difficult to digest. So anyone who's trying to protect their gut health needs to minimize even these low oxalate seeds like the pumpkin seeds. But the pumpkin seed actually fits in and fills in pretty nicely, especially if you like to make tahini-based things where you'd used to use this. Oh, instead of, instead of sesame seed paste. Yeah, instead of the sesame seed paste, you can just straight up substitute the, the pumpkin seed butter. And so you can use it in these ways where you're culinarily, you're making interesting sauces and dressings and different things, but you're not. it's not the kind of thing where you're gonna smear piles of it on everything, but I bet you could get away with some kind of creative work with it. Oh, I sure. Uh, tell me about the best fruits. The best fruits are, oh boy. Blueberries, blueberries are one of them, I bet. Blueberries are fine. And, you know, if you're not eating six cups a day, they're fine. Like a cup a day max, then quit. Um, but yeah, the blueberries good. The apples are good. Pineapples, a, a kind of medium. So, you know, a cup of pineapples, big chunks is fine. But again, you don't want to eat too much of it. Uh, let's see, papaya is great. All the melons are great. The cucubit family is the cucumbers, the squashes, and the melons. And those are all really low. Uh, so they're fun to have. What else? I'm trying to think. And when you get to the grains, because I'm going to go back to organic, non-GMO, non-glyphosate wheat, because we've been using all the lentil pastas, the chickpea pastas. I, I don't like the taste. But would you say wheat is a low oxalate grain? Well, the bran is where the oxalate hangs out. So your, your refined 
grains are much lower in oxalate and the lowest of all the grains is white rice. Wheat oh. is somewhere in the middle. So depending on how much you're eating, again, it's really about the dose. So if you're doing the 11 servings a day of bread, then that's too much. That's going to get you in trouble. But, you know, a couple slices of bread every day is no problem on a low oxalate or oxalate aware eating. The thing about bread is and wheat generally is that in grains, I guess, they they tend to get moldy. So if it's been a rainy season and they're harvested in a rainy field and then stored improperly, they can have mold contamination. And aspergillus mold is a standard kind of environmental black mold that produces oxalic acid. So the oxalate content of grains can be higher if they haven't been handled well. So buying the very finest, freshest, um, you know, more be picky about your grains too, so that you don't get this additional oxalate load plus other mycotoxins from the moldy grains. Herbs and spices, what would you suggest? I would suggest if you love turmeric, which is the worst of the high oxalate herbs and spices, use curcumin extract. You can use that as a flavoring. You can also use essential oils to use flavors. I would cut back on how much cumin I use. It's easy enough to switch from black pepper to white pepper. And then when you're using cloves and allspice and these things and cinnamon, just use them moderately, you know, so you're not overdoing them. So what you're telling me is that turmeric, which is the biggest spice going, the biggest <laughs> anti-inflammatory solution to everything under the sun is a high oxalate urban spice. Can you expound on that just a bit more so my people understand that? Yeah, and what's really important to understand is a spice like turmeric or a food like turmeric that's very, very high in bioavailable oxalate is a pro-oxidative food. It is causing more oxidation and it's solving in the long run. So when you make an um, extract of a food, like you do with when you make curcumin supplements, you're actually removing the oxalate from it. So potato starch, for example, has no oxalate in it, but potatoes are pretty high in oxalate. So you could use a flour that is potato starch. Yes, I really like potato starch. Coconut's very low. Coconut, coconut is low in oxalates. Coconut's very low. And actually lentils are low in oxalate. The problem is that they're the worst in terms of lectins. So if you're using lentils, you really need to soak them for three days and then high pressure cook heat them to kill the lectins. And that's the problem with that pasta that you don't like the taste of is it also is probably kind of high in lectins because the way we pr produce them Process. commercially. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have another question. Every time you say something, it leads me to 10 more questions, but this one is very important. Ketogenic diets are very, very popular. Can they cause oxalate dumping? Well, some people do leave the potatoes and the sweet potatoes and they do sometimes stumble unawarely into a low, lower oxalate diet. And this is the real problem is we're completely blinded. We have no consciousness of oxalate. So we can make major shifts in our diet that can either go much worse because a lot of people, when they start on keto diets, they're encouraged to do these almond-based foods, almond-based chocolate brownies, almond-based bread. So there are many people go up on Almond-based cheese. All of it. So you can go in either direction, depending on how you define your and create your ketogenic diet. And it's quite sad that no one's giving you this additional filter, this understanding of a smarter way to select your foods. 
Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fab Lasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. Do you make oxalates from mold exposure? Probably not, but the mold itself in your home, the black mold is producing airborne oxalic acid. So you could be breathing and consuming oxalic acid in that way uh, from mold in your home. The aspergillus black mold usually in the body only colonizes the body and hangs out in the body. When people with lung issues, you breathe it in and it sits there in the lung and can create oxalate in the body. But you don't, in the literature, you don't see other forms of colonization of black mold, but it's definitely a mycotoxin that's producing oxalate and can be a problem. Interesting. I was, I didn't know this either for, until I did all my research for my book, Toxic Superfoods. And that was that polluted air makes oxalate. And oxalic acid is one of the major acids in acid rain. And it's one of those compounds that makes polluted air bad for us. Wow. I know, like who knows? Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. But I mean, this overriding question, which of course I neglected to ask you because I'm so excited about the topic. Why did you write a book called Toxic Superfoods? What prompted you to write a, a book such, such as this? My own health disaster. And then the whole slap the forehead, like you mean my entire adulthood and life has been ruined because I love sweet potatoes and Swiss chard and I've been growing beets and beet greens my whole life. Like I just could not believe that despite my education, you know, I went to Cornell in order yes. to, in order to know how to help people not get sick. And I made myself sick and suffered from a huge number of problems. And when I finally figured it out, it was the end of being 49. I was just a few months away from turning 50. And when my body suddenly got happier, cause I quit eating the Swiss chard and the sweet potatoes, which were my current favorites at the time and some kiwis, another bad one in the fruit department, I could not believe it. And that made me go to the library every Sunday plus other days, but at bare minimum, I was there from noon to six every Sunday for years reading and studying this. And sometimes it was so amazing. I would have to leave the library. I was so upset, <laughs> both <laughs> excited and just pissed off because how could we not know this is sitting here in the library? It's there to be, to discover. So I uh, felt that the least I could do after ruining my own life is warn a few people out there that you don't want to be me. I started teaching for free in the community and was surprised to see how many other people. I thought I was a special case, you know, just a few of us have this problem, but that is absolutely not what's going on. A lot of us are in big trouble with oxalates and have no idea. So when you take a blood test, are there any blood levels or any blood values that could give you a clue? There are a few, and I mentioned them in my book in the chapter about the test. There's a chapter in Toxic Superfoods called No Good Tests, 
and I would have to even open that up, but it's sort of the whole clinical picture. Um, but if you see, like in my case, my blood markers were weird and that I had low white counts for years. Mm, there's so many. Immediately got better. Immediately uh, got better. Oh, that's a, that's a biggie. What was it? What, what were your blood, blood counts? If I oh gosh, I don't know. I don't have that kind oh, of brain that remembers the data, but oh, they were. Uh, you're definitely out of the normal range considered you know where you get the big flag on your test sure. they were flagged as low for years and i think that started sometime within a few years of me adopting a sweet potato as my starch when i got myself off beans and bread because i had been a vegan relying on beans and whole wheat bread and then I had to get off of them because it was clearly not agreeing with me. I was having bad fatigue and problems with those foods. And I thought they were just allergies. And I think now I'm realizing that it was the, the high oxalate nature of those foods that were really the worst of the problem. But I started adopting that sweet potato instead of those other starches. And within a few months of that, I started to know, I never put it together until now. And this is back in my thirties, you know, I'm almost 60 here, but you are 60, aren't you? Yeah. I'm entering my 60th year here. Just turning 59 uh, right now. Yes. Bless you. First day of my 60th year. And I, I back then in my thirties, I looked and felt like I was 90. I was getting age spots. I was getting crow's feet. I was getting these muscle pains between my shoulders at night. I was having all these things. I went, I had this, this, um, skin bump on top of my head that was starting to really make it hard to even style my hair. And so I went to the dermatologist to get him to cut it off and asked him, what are these little brown spots that are forming all over me? And he laughed. He goes, those are age spots. That was Every, not funny. Everybody has those. That was not funny. I was in my thirties. What the heck age spots? You know, and I had been getting the crow's feet and starting to feel worse and worse. And I had been struggling with such fatigue and so, you know, within some period after the sweet potato adoption, I started to see this low white count, the BUN number off, you know, there's a little bit of lightweight kidney stress in the numbers, um, a couple of weird mineral numbers and some mineral tests. I had low copper that wouldn't respond to any kind of treatment. It really, just a few odd things, but I otherwise seem fine. Everyone says you're fine. You look fine. You're fine. <laughs> And you weren't fine. So, so you discovered this, put yourself on a healing plan and then went to a publisher who got excited about your book. Was that what happened? Well, it takes a lot to get to a publisher. You need to find an agent. So I sent out proposals. I spent three years actually writing my proposal and getting really clear about this book and the message and, and sent it out to several agents for years. And I hired a few editors. Each time I sent a round of sending it out, I had a editor look at it to tell me if I could improve my proposal because I wanted to find an agent. And eventually kind of through luck, actually one of the editors I hired, she knew an agent who took on the book and the, the agent knew that this publisher would be interested in the book. So we what did- What was your publisher, Sally? I'm with Random House. It was a Harmony Books that initially bought the book and they decided this was really a Rodale book. So it's published under the Rodale imprint with Penguin Random House. Good publisher, solid publisher. Yeah, it's the biggest trade on paperback publisher in the world. So you lucked in finally after all this time. Yeah, luck luck rewards um, hard work and years of slaving in the library. God willing. <laughs>
God willing. <laughs> yeah. So the book, you know, trying to bring this technical story and piece together something that no one's pieced together to try to explain the mechanisms of the toxic effects of us eating too much of this stuff. What it took, it took a little bit of, it was like building a puzzle and you keep rebuilding it and rebuilding it to try to get it. So it tells a story in a reasonable number of pages. And people seem to be gobbling it up. People tell me they read the book in two or three days and then they read it again because they're happy with it. So I think it's working out. Oh, you're a bestseller. You told me offline you're a bestseller in four categories on Amazon. It's doing very, very well. Doing very well because we have very needy, excited people who are healing their lives. And they're so happy to have a book to help sort of validate their experience because you get a lot of invalidation from your friends and doctors when you don't feel good and you look fine and you eat great and you seem to be muddling along in life, but you're not. This book really gives them um, an answer as to why they've suffered as well as I have. So will you do do a cookbook soon? I mean, I think there should be a cookbook. I'm putting in my two cents. My <laughs> <laughs> Yes, publisher wants a cookbook. You can get recipes from my website. I have a PDF download that's 180 something recipes that really will get you started. Only 180 recipes? Only 180. Lots of vegetable recipes, ways to work with cabbage, ways to work with rutabaga and turnips and these low oxalate foods. And Oh, yeah. Now, what is your website? AllieKNorton.com. And in the shop, you can download a free, a couple of free items. You can get a beginner's guide. You can sign up for my email list and you can get the cookbook. Uh, the cookbook is, is I kind of like that there. It's helping me pay my expenses of keeping a website going and having an email list and the, the background expenses. The cookbook helps me make sure that those get covered. Oh, of course. It takes so much time and energy. Yeah. But what can people do? Is there a kind of magic bullet supplement, vitamin, herb, or food that binds the oxalates? The main thing, there's two things that helps the body get rid of the oxalate. Because, okay, so here's the problem when we're eating it all the time. You know, the, the oxalates creating oxidative stress for immune cells, for your vascular cells and other tissues that get hooked up in. They're causing mineral deficiencies and electrolyte imbalances. So a lot of us have real devastating devastation with our mineral status, calcium, potassium, magnesium, trace minerals. And uh, that's the oxalic acid itself and this mineral disturbance causes real damage to cellular metabolism. And then as it's stealing these crystals or as it's stealing the minerals, it's forming crystals in tissues, glands, bones, other areas where you've got infections, injury, inflammation. And so it's starting to stick to those tissues. Those tissues are especially sticky to oxalate. It's building up in your tissue. So now you have particulate nano and microcrystals hanging out in all important tissues like your bone marrow and your thyroid gland. And that is inciting chronic immune engagement. And then when that, when the masking and adaption that the body's doing to try to not give you symptoms eventually breaks, you start getting symptoms now. So here you are discovering that you're sick and you ate too many somethings like almonds or something. The, what you need to do is not just start to gradually change your diet, but realize that the binder that's going to help you release oxalate from tissues are, is calcium and citric acid. Citrate helps you to avoid kidney stones. It helps to break down these crystals. It sticks to these calcium oxalate crystals 
and softens them because the bond between the calcium and the citrate versus the calcium and the oxalate is slightly stronger. So it turns these crystals, which are in themselves as hard as quartz, they're harder than your teeth. You're actually chewing on them when you're eating almond butter and so on. They're eroding your teeth. But the ones that form in your body are similarly hard and the, cal the uh, citrate helps you break them down. So citric acid and calcium, luckily you can buy calcium citrate, magnesium citrate, potassium citrate. These are all helpful. So often people need to start using them to support the body. And lemon juice is a great form of citric acid yeah. that helps protect the kidney. So there's some really simple things to do to support the body. The calcium's the binder, you need the minerals and you need the uh, citrate, which one of the things it's doing for us, one of many, is it's helping to create a little bit, sop up the acidity that's being caused by oxalic acid and the inflammation that it's causing. So you get lots of waves of acidity from being poisoned basically by eating too much of a toxin and the citric acid turns to bicarbonate in the liver and helps to calm down some of this acidity, which protects your bones. And of course, citrate is the molecule that binds the calcium to your bones. It helps build stronger enamel in your teeth and rebuild the bone damage that's occurring from the high oxalate diet. Fascinating. So tell me what the response to your book has been, Toxic Superfoods, and can people get it on Amazon? Yes, you can buy it anywhere books are sold. And Amazon's the place where you're going to see some reviews there. We're at, I would say, uh, getting close to 400 reviews and 97 or 8% of them are five-star reviews. Wow. Many people are sharing their stories right there. And you can wow. read you can read hundreds of stories now right there on Amazon about how important this is to their to their health. So that's exciting to have this public platform where we're sharing. So I'm encouraging readers to, to do that because it helps to make it real for other people who are thinking about reading the book or learning about oxalates. What's up next for you, Sally K. Norton, besides another book, perhaps? Yeah, I think there's lots of potential books to write. I'm, I've been working on making the, the specific data that's available on oxalates more available through my website. And I'm working on a video course and, and um, just generally, you know, working with clients and teaching. I, I participated in a lovely conference the previous weekend. And so that's really just continue to teach and try to be a resource for folks who want more ways to be well. Can people contact you for consultations? They can through my website. And I usually recommend that people make sure they've got the book because you can get a lot out of the book. It's got a ton of details and consider coming to a group class. I do these Zoom meetings for about 30 people at a time, at least three times a month. And so you can come inexpensively, meet other people who are learning this together and get a lot of the basics there. And then if all of those things aren't enough, then I then you can get in my schedule as a a, uh, get a consult with me personally and get personal guidance. Can you just tell us as we conclude this wonderful interview, one of the most inspiring success stories? Oh my gosh, there's so many. And uh, everyone continues to astound me. They come to me with these odd problems and I'm thinking, how could that be oxalates? You know, and then they then we explore together their situation and it clearly is oxalates and how quickly some of people get better is remarkable. 
And we've had uh, people flat out in their beds. I've had three young women who were barely into their thirties who were so disabled, they couldn't get out of their beds. Oh my gosh. And they are now walking around and one of them, she couldn't brush her teeth for years, for three years. She's been in bed six years. For three years, she cannot brush her own teeth and barely feed herself because she didn't have the strength in her neck. The connective tissue in your neck can be very seriously damaged. And she didn't no longer had the connective tissue strength to hold her head in a way where she could even brush her own teeth. Wow. She, walking down the stairs. I've had several people, it's sort of it's biblical. It's really- Epic, inspiring. epic is the word, my dear, epic. <laughs> epic. So everybody has to buy this book. I'm telling all my, I, I don't usually do this by the way, Sally K. Norton, but I'm very impressed with what you've done. And I think this is an underlying cause of so many issues, including so much autoimmunity. The name of the book is Toxic Superfoods by Sally K. Norton. And I want to thank Sally K. Norton for being my guest. Will you come back, Sally? Oh, I can't wait to be with you again. We're having a good time. Having a good time because you're doing such great work. Happy birthday. Thank you, darling. Happy birthday and many more. And I want to wish every one of you a wonderful rest of your week. Shalom uvracha, my friends. Please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.